Father in heaven, I need your help for what is ahead of me. Give me the strength to try. Give me the courage to fail. Give me this breath. Give me this lap. Give me endurance to last. Give me the race. Give me this day. Welcome to Seacoast. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I want to welcome you if you're joining us online or in one of the venues or at one of our campuses. We are so glad that you are with us. I especially want to welcome those who might be here with us for the first time. I know this time of year, a lot of folks that have moved to town, maybe new to church or new to faith, are here. And we just want to say we are so glad that you are here. And we're believing that this year you're going to connect with people, your kids are going to make friends, and that very quickly something that might feel foreign could start to feel like home for you. And I just want to invite all of you this year to prioritize church on Sunday. I was just texting with a friend of mine named Jason that couldn't be here today. He was joining in online, but it is a great way for you to put God first every single week, deciding to give him some time on the first day of the week. So to prioritize being here, prioritize joining online, whatever the case, as you seek him, you will find him. And so we're excited that you're here. You might have noticed as you came in at whatever campus you might be at that there were tables and balloons. This is our second Connect weekend where we kick off the year doing everything that we can to help you take a next step into community. Just like Pastor Tamilix that we just saw in that video, he did not know how he would have made it without his small group. They were there in times of grief and in times of joy, and we wanna do everything we can to help you find a tribe as well, because we believe that significant life change happens in the context of relationships. So your campus pastor will tell you more about how to take a next step before we leave today. But before we get started, I wanted to take just a minute to celebrate the real heroes of Connect Weekend, and that is our small group leaders. These are folks that have decided to open up their home, open up their hearts, they're getting up early to meet people and, and facilitate community in coffee shops and restaurants. These are the folks leading and opening God's word together and in prayer. They're doing hospital visits when people are sick. They're organizing meal trains when people have babies. Come on, somebody. Let's praise God for a meal train and be thankful for that, you know what I mean? But our small group leaders are the ones walking out this thing that Jesus has called us to, to live lives in relationship, in community, to look and be more and more like him. So as we get started today, here in Mount Pleasant and across all of our campuses, small group leaders, would you stand and remain standing for just a minute? Let's give these folks a hand as they stand in any ministry. If you're a small group leader, go ahead and stand. There we go. Stay standing, stay standing. Frank and Lynn, stand up, come on, all right. So here's what I wanna do. At whatever campus they might be in, being a small group leader isn't an easy job, right? Because relationship and crisis, it never comes at convenient times in our lives and it doesn't always in our small group either, but I don't want there to be a day where they do it in their own strength. So wherever you might be, if there's a small group leader standing near you, would you just reach a hand out towards them? I'd love for us as a church to pray over them as we kick off this semester. God, we thank you so much for every small group leader. We're so thankful for their willingness to say yes 
to open up their hearts and their homes, to give of themselves and their lives, to help create community. And in the same way that you commissioned the disciples, you said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. God, we send them and say go in the power of the Holy Spirit. May they not be a day where they do it in their own strength. Would wisdom be theirs in abundance, God? Would you give them grace and provision? You say that he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So in every way and every day that they serve and give, God, may you give generously to each of them. We thank you so much for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Give them one more hand. Thankful for each of you. All right, well, can you believe that it is already 2020? 2020, and not just like a new year. Katie and I are very much New Year's people. You know, it's exciting to look back at who you were last year and to dream and talk about who you'd like to be this year, but this year in particular, it's not just the kicking off of a new year, but the kicking off of a new decade, right? I mean, as we look back and think about history, people tell the story of history in decades, right? What were the 60s like? What were the 70s like? Some of you have a testimony about what they were like, right? <laughs> you were not walking with Jesus, and I know your story, right? Well, we, we tell history in decades, and there's gonna come a point where people look back at the 2020s to say, what were they about? And how exciting is it that as the people of God, we get to be a part of helping shape the narrative of what the 2020s were about? What if this decade was the one where we took ground, where we stepped into being the people and doing the things that God created us to do? And so Katie and I have had a lot of fun dreaming, thinking, talking about that for this year. There's just something special about it. Nobody wakes up October 1st and rolls into the office like, guys, it's October, it's time for change, you know? But there's something about a new year, a new start, a new decade. Maybe for you, you've thought about, and whether you've journaled them, written them down or not, or maybe just thought about them, maybe for some of you, you've got some physical goals. You know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and some of y'all might be thinking, well, man, if my body's a temple, it's a mega church, right? <laughs> it's a multi-site <laughs> campus. Like, we got a lot going on, and I hear you. I was carrying a basket of laundry upstairs the other day, talking on the phone, and when I sat the laundry down, I was like, whew, brothers, when did <laughs> We got some work to do from doing the laundry, right? And so maybe you're gonna take some ground this year. Maybe it's gonna be in your finances. You've been working a budget. Maybe in the past, you've been kind of casual. You try not to spend more than you take in, and you're saying, you know what? I'm gonna go Dave Ramsey on this beast. I'm gonna know where every dollar is going. I'm gonna be accountable. God's gonna bless this. I'm gonna put him first. Maybe it's professional for you. Maybe you just graduated school and you're in an entry-level job and in the next couple years, you've got vision for leading the team or leading the location. Maybe you're a business owner and this year or this decade, you're gonna launch a new location or you've got some vision for how you wanna grow professionally. Maybe it's within your family. You might be single and this is the year you're feeling like, man, I'm looking for a spouse. And whether you're hoping, scoping, or roping, whatever category <laughs> you might be in, you're praying for the person God has for you. Or maybe you're married and you wanna, you're praying and thinking about having a baby. This is gonna be a year where you take ground in your family. Man, that is so exciting. Or maybe it's spiritually. You're here this time of year because you're saying, you know what, I'm gonna put God first. I'm gonna go after him and you could not be here at a better time. Every year, we start the year with 21 days of prayer and fasting, and there's so many different things that we do together as a church. Pastor Josh challenged us during this series, give us this day, to start and end every day with the Lord's Prayer. There's so much packed in it that we're studying over the next 
couple weeks, but, but as a church, starting and ending the day, saying that together. Every day we're putting a, a devotional, kind of a thought for prayer on our Insta Story page. You could follow along with that. Here at the Mount Pleasant campus at 6 a.m. on Monday through Thursday, we're joining for prayer. Some of you college students didn't know there were two six o'clocks in a day, but there is, and we're meeting for the first one <laughs> for, uh, for prayer. And, your campus pastor can tell you what that looks like at your, at your campus, but we're also fasting. And I know some of you are questioning like, well, what is fasting all about? Well, two critical components of your person is your body and your spirit. And fasting is simply denying your body, denying your flesh, something that you might desire. And, and when you desire that thing, you give that time to God that your spirit might be built up. And so it could be caffeine or sugar. Some people are fasting TV or social media. Katie and I are doing a, a food fast. It could be any number of things, but it's an opportunity for you to pray and say, okay, God, what can I deny myself of so that my spirit might be strengthened, so that my spirit might come alive? Because what we believe you're doing is laying a foundation in the spiritual for what you want to see God accomplish in your life this year. And so we are one week in today, but we've still got 14 days. And so if you would say, man, I wanna grow spiritually this year, this is the best opportunity for you to get involved. Now, you might not have written down a goal or have a goal in each of those categories, but how many of you would say that you've got some dreams or vision in at least one of them? All right, all of us do. There's, in some way, there's areas that we wanna take ground this year or this decade, and I believe those dreams and desires within us are God-given. He put those in us. His desire is to prosper us and, and not to harm us, to give us a hope and a future. All throughout scripture, when we read about being obedient to his word, it's so that we might prosper. He wants us to grow into being the people that he created us to be. He wants us to step into doing even greater things than Jesus did, the Bible tells us. So the question for me then is, if we have these desires in our heart, if it's really a God-given dream that he desires to bring his kingdom into our lives and into our earth as we grow more and more into his image, the question for me then is why don't we do it? Oftentimes I think it's because we get a week into the year, we get a month into the year, and we lose focus, and my mega church keeps growing, you know, and like I just don't step into, I don't actualize the thing that I've always wanted, and as we continue this series today, looking at the Lord's Prayer, I believe there's three truths, three ways to help us step into being the people and doing the things that God has created us to do, and there's one word that I believe will help us do so. It's there at the top of your outline. Our Father desires to bring his kingdom into our lives through relationships. Our Father desires to bring his kingdom into our lives through relationships. You know, when I look back on my life, in high school, there was a guy named Dean Howell. He was my football coach. He showed me what it looked like to walk with God long before I was ever interested. When I got to college, it was a guy named Adrian Dupre. He led a men's Bible study at 6 a.m. on a Tuesday. You had to pay a dollar if you were late, and we memorized the book of James, and you had to pay a quarter per word that you missed. <laughs> like, that was the kind of hardcore focus I needed as a college student. When I started in my first job and our marriage just about fell apart, God positioned a guy named Don Brock to pursue me and fight for me and love us. When we moved to Charleston, it was Mac and Cindy Lake who met with us weekly to fight for and help restore our marriage. Maybe it was a mentor in your life, possibly it was a kid. Man, you have a kid and they have a way of opening up your heart. God allows you to love deeper and they speak truth 
into you, whatever the case, when I look back on my life, significant life change has happened in the context of relationships. Well, last week in kicking off the series, Pastor Darren talked to us about kind of a, a foundation for prayer. And this week I want us to look at the context of, of this passage of um, Matthew chapter six. When I was in seminary, one of the primary like truths that has stuck with me and changed the way that I read the Bible is that context is king in every interpretation of scripture. And all that means is that anytime you're looking at a verse, it's important that you look at the paragraph that it's in, the chapter that it's in. What book is it in? Who wrote the book? Who were the people that he was talking to? Was it predominantly Jews or Gentiles? When was the book written? All of that stuff has a hand in helping you understand what the author was saying and what God's actually trying to say to you. And this week, as we look at the Lord's Prayer, there's three critical components, each of which are answered in relationship, ways that Jesus taught us to pray that relationship is the actual answer for. I wanna start off by looking at the context of this passage a little bit. It's found in Matthew chapter six, there on your outline, verses five through 15. The Lord's Prayer is actually five verses of those 10 verses. And if you were to remove the Lord's Prayer, um, it leaves you with five verses. And in those five verses, Jesus uses the word you 18 times. Now I want you to imagine sitting down with a friend at lunch today and over the course of five sentences using the word you 18 times, right? What are you gonna eat for lunch? Why do you chew it like that? What are you doing after lunch? Are you taking a nap today? Do you know it's raining outside? What are you gonna do tonight? Can I do it with you? You know, like over and over and over and over, right? They're so focused on themselves because it's you. When you pray, go into your room, cry out to your father, very you focused until he gets to the Lord's Prayer. And in our translations, the first two words that we read are our father. And the tense change there makes me question, okay, what does he have for me to learn? What is going on? Why did he shift from you to our? And the answer is found in Matthew chapter four as to who he was talking to. It tells us at the end of chapter four, verses 23 through 25 there on the screen, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, and those having seizures, the paralyzed Clemson fans, and he healed them. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just slipped, it slipped, I'm sorry. Large, large crowds from the Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan all followed him. It goes on in chapter five, verse one. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds. Now, to understand the significance of our father, that word crowds in chapter five, verse one is more accurately translated as mob, and here's why. In this crowd of people, you had Jerusalem and Judea, cities that were largely made, largely made up of Jews. You had the Decapolis, which was 10 cities largely made up of Gentiles. Two cities, two people groups that didn't associate with one another. Even among the Jews, if someone got leprosy or a various illness, they would be outcast because a Jew didn't wanna touch them or associate with them because they would then be unclean for worship. And we see here that there were, there were different religions, different faith backgrounds, cultural differences. There were healthy and the sick, the wealthy and the poor. All of these people were coming to Jesus and he healed them all of their various diseases. I see this mob, this crowd of people pursuing him, trying not to touch others, seeing people that they've never seen. 
It was a tense environment. And I see Jesus in this moment looking over this mob of people when he goes to teach them to pray, saying, our Father. And I want you to think about Jesus, okay? He was born of a woman. How many women are here today? Raise your hand for me. Okay, I don't know why that's funny, but all right. (laughs) Mary was just like you, a woman, 100% human. That was his mom. Yet his father was God, fathered by God's supernatural Father, Jesus was 100% man, 100% God. So in teaching them to pray, he didn't say, looking down to them, hey, when you talk to my father, this is how you should do it. But he brought himself to our level to say, when you pray, including himself, this is how you do it, our father. So that should be so empowering, so encouraging for you today that regardless of where you are, regardless of what sin you're struggling with, regardless of, of where you've been or what you've done, The fact that you are here today in his presence and studying how to pray, he's speaking to you and saying all that you have to do is cry out to him and say, our father, that you are included in that. And then he goes on to use the word you three times. But unlike the other 18, none of these three are about me. They're all about the father. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. So our father desires to bring his kingdom into our lives. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He doesn't want us to have to wait until we die to taste the goodness of heaven. He wants the kingdom of God to break out in our lives. And then he goes on to address three different prayers, three different areas, the answer of which, the solution of which is found in relationship. And the first of which is there on your outline. We experience the kingdom of God through our relationships when we, number one, admit our neediness. Admit our neediness. Matthew 6, 11, he says, give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. And here he's not just talking about a sandwich, right? It's not just, God, give me the food that I need for today. But he's, the, the heart of the prayer, the essence of it is to cry out to God as your provider. God, give me the wisdom that I need for today. Give me the provision, the protection, the nutrition. Give me what I need for today. And I know that in a crowd this size, there are people who have plenty and there are people with incredible need. There's folks whose money is working for them. You've stewarded it well, you've invested it, you've saved it. Uh, your, Your marriage is in great shape. You might say, man, this is the best season we've ever been in. Your kids are godly and growing up and doing awesome. You're in the best physical shape of your life. We know that there are people here like that and we hate you, okay? <laughs> I just kidding. You may never say, you may never say that I'm able to meet my needs, but based on the road that you've walked, based on the way you've stewarded all that God has given you, that's kind of the way that you live. Well, it's foolish for us to say or think or buy into the lie that we can meet our own needs because we don't know what tomorrow holds, right? You might be able to meet your needs financially until the stock market crashes. You can meet your needs in your marriage until you learn about the affair tomorrow. You can meet your needs in any number of ways until you can't. And so Jesus is saying, regardless of where you are here, cry out to him as your provider. On the other hand, I know that there are people here with incredible need. Maybe you moved to to the area for a job and you got here and the job didn't turn out to be what it was supposed to be and now the savings account is running down and you don't know how you're gonna make it. 
incredible need. Maybe this is a season of brokenness in your family, either with your marriage or with your kids, and people might see you as one way, but the reality at home is things don't look as they appear. And you want to say something, but man, that can be hard. Now, it's easy for us to look at this spectrum as one of wealth or value, right? The, the haves and the have-nots, but the reality is it is a spectrum of neediness, and we are all on it. And Jesus is inviting us all to posture our hearts to see God as our provider. So what is this supposed to look like? He gives us an example there in your outline in Luke chapter three, verse 11. It says, if you have two shirts, give one to the Walters. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Got a lot of kids, you know what I mean? If you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Acts 2, 44 through 45, there on the back of your outline. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions, giving to one another who had need. See, God designed relationship so that those in need, regardless of what it might be, whether it's financial need, relational need, uh, advice or wisdom, whatever the need might be, he designed relationships so that those people would have to humble themselves and ask for help. Man, I'm struggling financially. I'm struggling with my parenting. I know the kids look awesome, but at home, man, disrespectful, blah, 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 blah. How are y'all doing it? Like, could, could you help me? Those in need would humble themselves and ask for help, while those that have enough, whether it's a good season of marriage, a good season of parenting, they have enough finances, whatever it might be, they would have to open up their hands and open up their hearts and give generously of what God has given them. Whether it's in clothing or food, he designed relationship that it would be good for the soul, for us to humble ourselves, for us to open our hands and give to one another as we have need. And the principle there on your outline is this. Provision without need is worthless. Provision without need is worthless. Shortly after Katie and I moved to Charleston, we moved here in faith, we were kind of in between jobs, financially, man, we were in a, in a tough spot. And there came a point one night where we were like totally out of food in the pantry and the freezer and we kind of convinced the kids that we were having like a buffet, like at the restaurant, right? And so we made like one hot dog, one pack of ramen noodles, we had enough powder for one pancake, we had like all this random stuff that we put out on the counter and the kids were like, yeah, this is awesome! And we were like, whew, it worked, okay. That was great. Well, that night, a friend of ours, Vicky, was at Sam's Club. God put us on her heart, and she loaded up a buggy from Sam's. I'm talking hot dogs for days. You know what I mean? Sam's boxes were just incredible. And so she comes over the house. Katie and I are crying over ramen noodles, just so excited and, and blessed by this. Now, what if every hour on the hour, someone else did the exact same thing? They just kept bringing Sam's loads. We didn't have another freezer. We didn't have that many kids at that point. Like there'd come a point where food would expire, it, it, would, go, it would go to waste because our need has been, had been met. Well, provision without need is worthless. It goes to waste. Likewise, need without provision is desperation. Man, when you have incredible need, whether it's for food or clothing or counsel or community, when you have need and don't have provision, that's where you find people desperate doing whatever they can take to try to get by, making emotionally driven decisions largely isolated. Need without provision is desperation, but people with provision, living in relationship with those in desperation, allows everyone to experience 
the kingdom. People with provision, living in relationship with those in desperation, with those in need, allows both parties to experience the kingdom. God designed relationship that way. I'm not talking about giving blindly to the hungry or to the poor. Both of those things are great. But it, they're right here in our church, right here in our campuses. It might not be physically poor, it might be spiritually impoverished. Maybe they need a mother or father in the faith. And here's what I know, in that season where Katie and I didn't have food in the pantry, we were living in a duplex and there was a single mom living right next door to us. I didn't have a, a lot of hot dogs, you know what I'm saying, but I had a lot of love for kids. You know, it's an area that we've continued to shine, right? <laughs> and so what I was able to give in that season was loving on this single mom's child. You always have something to give, even if you're in an area of need in another area in your life. But God designed relationship that when we're willing to humble ourselves, when we're willing to give generously of what we have, everyone gets to experience the kingdom of God. This then is how people knew that the followers of Jesus were his disciples, how, how they loved one another. And as we humble ourselves, as we give generously, people are gonna take note that we too have been with Jesus. So we experience the kingdom through our relationships when we, number one, admit our neediness. Number two there on the back of your outline is when we acknowledge our pain. Acknowledge our pain. Matthew 6, 12 says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Man, none of us like to acknowledge our pain. And I think it's in part because we, we equate pain with weakness and we don't want to appear weak. But if there's three things that I know as we head into this new year, as we head into this new decade, is one, that you're gonna hurt the heart of God. You're gonna grieve his heart, whether because of attitudes or actions, the way that you talk to or treat yourself, the way that you talk to or treat others. It might be with the best of intentions, there's gonna be times when you hurt the heart of God. Secondly, you're gonna hurt those that you're in relationship with, either because of something that you say that's misinterpreted or you forget an important holiday, like a birthday, husbands, go ahead and pencil it in, you know, like there's gonna be something that happens. You're gonna hurt someone else's heart. And then number three, you're going to be hurt yourself. Something's gonna happen at some point in the next year and you are going to get hurt. And as Jesus teaches us to pray here, he, he goes one of two directions. He starts with our relationship with God to say, God, and forgive us our debts, but then he goes relationally to say, and in the same way as we have forgiven our debtors. So in starting with God, 1 John 1, 9 says it this way. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive. Everybody say, will forgive. Will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness if we confess. If we confess. Man, in order for us to confess, we've got to be able to acknowledge our sin, right? We've gotta be able to acknowledge the times that we've grieved the heart of God, either because of our attitudes or our actions, the things that we've done that have separated us from him. And if we will do it, not just a generic, God forgive me of my sins, but identifying the things that we've done that were wrong. If your kid sinned against you, if they yelled at you and they just came and said, I'm sorry for being a bad person, like you're not a bad person, what did you do? You yelled at dad. You don't talk to me that way, kid. You know, like whatever. <laughs> I wouldn't actually do that, right? But you would drive to having them confess what is it that you did and why is that behavior wrong? Well, our father is the same way. If we will acknowledge the pain that we've caused him, if we will confess it, 
He is faithful and just and will forgive. Man, that's good news for somebody today. If you're struggling with a substance abuse, alcohol, drugs, if you've been far from him, if you've nearly shipwrecked your family, your marriage, if you will confess, he will forgive. And he is a God who restores and makes all things new. Today could be the day, this could be the year that you have a fresh start. Jesus was saying, let's start with our Father. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And the second part of that verse is why I chose this language for this point. We've got to acknowledge our pain. And what came to mind is our relationship with others. You know, over the course of this year, if somebody sins against you in a big way, like they murder someone in your family, they steal from you, commit adultery, like if there's some big sin, you're gonna wrestle with God and grapple with them over being able to forgive them, right? You're gonna, you're gonna journal about it, you're gonna pray and talk to God, you're gonna wrestle with forgiveness in your heart because if you don't, you're gonna be the one that it embitters, right? But the big things isn't, isn't what came to mind for me, it was the small things. I feel like every week we have an opportunity, something happens, maybe you're at school with a group of friends and you realize that when this one person's around, you always end up being the butt of their joke, right? And, and you leave just feeling stupid and you don't wanna say something about it because it would, it would require an awkward conversation where you go to them and say, hey listen, every time you say that about that thing I say or wear or the way I look or whatever, it's just embarrassing and it makes me not wanna be around everybody. Would you, would you not do that? Like that would just be embarrassing, right? And so, so you just dismiss it and say, well they're always like that. You might pray for them that night and say, God help me, help me forgive them. Problem being, a month later, a couple weeks later, something else happens with that same person. And over the course of several months, as you don't address those small things, all of a sudden, there's this distance between you that is not what God desires. And the thought that came to mind for me is what if our experience of the forgiveness of God, meaning the freedom, the joy, the ease of life, what if our experience of the forgiveness of God this year was largely determined by our willingness to forgive others? Not of the big things, but of the small things our willingness to sit down with them. See, oftentimes we think about forgiveness as a one-way street. But when we think about forgiveness in our mind or think about it in our heart without talking it with our mouth, it looks a lot more like forgetting than it does forgiving. An example of that is here in this passage, Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Everybody say that phrase, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. You hear the transactional nature of that? You don't forgive each other without a conversation. Moments where you experience bitterness with one another, rage with one another, slander towards one another, right? There's, there's a transactional nature to forgiveness. What would it look like this year for you, decide, for you to decide, you know what, we're gonna keep short accounts. Every now and then, I'll feel this tension with a friend, and I'll just say, hey, can we keep short accounts for a season? Like, I don't know what it is, but I'm just feeling this, like, ish between us, and so if you say something or I do something, could we just call each other on it right then? Like, not when people are around, because that would be weird, but to just come before one another and talk about it? God designed relationship that it would be good for the soul for you to humble yourself and say, hey, you did this and it made me feel this way. Likewise, the person hearing it has to humble themselves and say, man, I totally see why you would feel that way. I didn't mean to do that, but I'm sorry. 
Or you're right, you know what, I shouldn't have done that, I see how I do that, and I don't wanna treat you that way. God designed relationship that we would all grow more and more into his image as we humble ourselves, forgiving each other, embracing a transactional way of forgiveness. So we experience the kingdom in our lives through relationship when we, number one, admit our neediness, number two, acknowledge our pain, and number three, there on your outline, address our sin. Address our sin. Matthew 6, 13 says it this way, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Here again, Jesus addresses two different directions, if you will, and the first of which is the temptation within me. Temptation, as defined there on your outline, is a desire within me for something that isn't good for me. James tells us that each person is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. And once he commits sin, sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Temptation is a desire within us. All too often I'll hear people say like, man, the enemy's been after me. The enemy's been attacking me. The devil made me do it, you know? And I wanna say like, eh, what if it's just you? You know, like, like, what if you're just a sinner, right? And the beauty about this prayer is that Jesus is saying, and lead us not into, into temptation. Not lead the, lead the new believer, right? But even the person that's walked with God their whole life. Wherever you are in your journey with him, there's gonna be a point where you struggle with temptation. And there's power, the beauty of relationship is us being able to talk about that one to another. Because I guarantee you, in the areas that I'm tempted, there's many of you out there that have had freedom and breakthrough in them. And so when he teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation, that's one of the beauties of relationship. Pastor Greg always says, you need to surround yourself with people who love you but aren't all that impressed with you. you know? That's also called a small group. The more that you walk through life with people, they, they get to see your mannerisms, your habits, your behaviors. You looked all shiny and fun at first, but four weeks into the small group, people are like, man, that dude ain't never on time. Like, come on, what's up? You know, like, people get to see and know who you really are. When you miss church one week, two weeks, three weeks, these are the friends that'll call you on it. Say, hey, bro, you're not even that good at golf. Like, you need to get back in church. Come on, man. You never even catch fish. Stop fishing. You're meeting me next Sunday, right? These are the folks that'll call you on it. These are the people that when you go out and they see you have a couple too many drinks, they're like, hey man, listen, the last few times we've gone out, I've noticed you've had a few more drinks than usual. Like, what's going on? Have you been doing that at home? Why, why are you doing that? These are the friends that will call you on your temptations to help you walk the right path. There are no neutral relationships. We are all being transformed more and more into his image, walking a path that leads to life or a path that leads to death. And so the question is, what kind of people are you walking with? It's the beauty of relationship and why we pray, lead us not into temptation. The power of the Holy Spirit is gonna lead us and guide us, but void of community, man, we can override it and find ourselves in places of death. So he starts off by saying, lead us not into temptation. Address the evil that's within me because it's gotten me into far more trouble than the evil that's outside of me. And then he goes on to say, but deliver us from the evil one. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You do have an enemy. 
And his desire for you is to steal, kill, and destroy, not to inconvenience your day. And we're not to, to play or be casual about this path of, of death because it leads one place. When we're casual about sin or when we're casual about community, we're gonna bring about pain and destruction in our lives because we have an enemy. And he doesn't have to come after you. He doesn't have to attack you when you're willingly walking that path on your own. But it's the beauty of relationship. People don't stumble into epic sin overnight all on their own. Usually it's a 100 small decisions till they find themselves somewhere doing something that they never would have imagined. We have an enemy. So why did Jesus ask us to pray over the three of these things? To, to admit our neediness, to acknowledge our pain, to address our sin, and I think it's because he knew doing so, especially in the context of relationship, would not be easy. We need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, at work in our group, to help us become more and more like Jesus. There's an African proverb that says, if you wanna go fast, go alone, but if you wanna go far, go together. And my, my prayer for me this year isn't for seven days, it's not for 365 days, it's for 3,650, I want the whole decade. Why would this year not be the year, why would this decade not be the decade where the people of God step into becoming who he created them to be, doing the things that he created them to do? That much like the 60s or the 70s, people talk about this decade as the one where the church of Jesus just shined because of our willingness to forgive each other, to talk about our sin, just to do the hard things in relationship. You know, as we close our time together today, the picture that I've had all week is of Jesus teaching this mix of people, Jew and Gentile, healthy and sick, rich and poor, haves and have-nots, teaching all of them how to pray and stretching his arm over them to say, our Father, bringing himself to our level, to say you can have a relationship with the God of the universe because really, living in a relationship with one another starts by having a relationship with him. And so as we close today, I just wanna invite everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want you to picture yourself on that hillside, whether you were sick or, or in need, coming to Jesus because you've heard about this man that was healing the sick, that was feeding the hungry, that was raising the dead, that was giving sight to the blind. Everyone with need moved towards him, this mob of people desperate to get close to them and have their needs met. Well, church today, he can meet your needs. This could be the year where you walk a new path. This could be the year where you become a new person. Not a bad person becoming good, but a dead person becoming alive. The year that you step into the life he created you to have. But that begins by you seeing him as father. The reality is he always has been. And you entering into a relationship with him is simply about you acknowledging it. That he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins so that you might have a relationship with him. And so as we kick off this year, as we start this decade, if you're here or at any of our campuses, and you would say, I wanna have a relationship with him with every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you just raise your hand for me? I wanna pray for you as we head into response time. Just a minute, if you sense your heart beating in you that he's talking to me, this is for me, man, raise your hand. Boldly raise your hand. I see them all over the room. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much for this new year and we speak life over every hand that's raised that they're saying they want to know you as their father that you sent your son to die on the cross for their sin, paying the price for their sin in full, 
that they might have a relationship with you. And so I speak prophetically over this year that it would be one of victory, that it would be one of life, that this decade would be one of breakthrough, that they would look back on the 2020s as the one that forever changed their life, that forever changed their family. God, may we become the people and may we do the things that you created us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.